Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. This is the ContenderCast. This is Justin Hahnemann, and we are shining a light on bright ideas. And today we're talking retail. I have several, or I'd say I have two passions and from an industry perspective. One is retail and one is consumer products. And today we're talking all about retail. So if you're in retail, you're going to love this conversation. If you shop ever, you're going to love this conversation. If you like technology that might touch retail, you're going to love this conversation. And I think I, I'm just so excited because on the podcast today is one of my good friends, Nikki Baird. And Nikki, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. I love it. All right. So a little bit about Nikki. I've known Nikki now for what, almost eight years, more than that now. She and I met, and I, I you guys are going to all laugh when you hear this. We met when we were like singing together. And you're like, what? Singing together? How does that happen in retail? Well, um, long story short, we both are have been involved with the retail industry now for a number of years. And we both have been a part of a really cool organization called RIS News. And um, they put on an event every year called Rock and Roll Retail, which pulls together retailers and those affiliated to retail to do uh, to be in bands. And so uh, we're both singers. And so Nikki and I have sung many times together in New York, right, Nikki? That's right. <laughs> and we have a lot of fun doing it. But most importantly, and what you guys will most care about is that she is in the retail space as a real expert around the industry. And she works for a company called Retail Systems Research. And she's been there for 10 years. Before that, she was with Forrester. Some of you have heard of Forrester or Gartner. Um, big research houses, I'll call it, in the technology um, and industry space. And before that, at PwC. So, all right, Nikki, here's my first question for you. How do you go from University of Colorado alum in international affairs to PwC consultant to research. How does that happen? Yeah, there, there were a few steps along the way. In there. Um, <laughs> I figured. <laughs> I know I made a few leaps, but you know. <laughs> um, I, I had no clue what I really wanted to do with my life when I was in college. And I kind of bounced around, around a couple of things. Um, ironically, I knew pretty quickly in my life that while I liked technology a lot, I hated programming. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. And I, um, you know, I had the kind of counselors that were like, well, what classes did you like? And so it was like, well, I like, you know, I like politics. I like <laughs> government kind of stuff. I don't like it as much today as I did. But I I basically eventually settled on international affairs. But the career path for that was take the foreign service exam and, and join the foreign service, join like the... Uh, ambassador kind of world. Yep. And um, and I really didn't want to do it. And I was working a retail job at the time. Okay. I was working part time for a little company in Colorado called Peppercorn. Okay. And they bought a computer system, and for their point of sale. And I yep. was the only person in the company who knew anything about computers. And <laughs> so I helped them get it in. So were you like the IT and then person? I was the default IT person. Oh, I love that. Um, okay. Yeah. And <laughs> and when I was done. Like, it was fascinating to me to see just how much it had changed, like, people's jobs, you know, right. like the the receiving manager, her job got completely changed because it went from totally manual paperwork to all online, all, you know, printing out stickers that you had to match up to the items that we received so that we could price them with our barcodes. 
Oh my gosh. All that kind of fun stuff. I know. Things that today so are that, kind of like normal, right? I mean, kind of commonplace. Right. Yes. And that was revolutionary. That was like 95-ish kind yep. of around in there. Absolutely. And um, the company had bought that point of sale system because they were going to expand. Okay. But the owners of the company were married to each other and they got divorced <laughs> over oh. remodeling their house. Oh, my God. Way more than I thought we would get on the story. And then what happened? <laughs> So I decided to go back to school and get my master's in business. And That's right. I did that at the University of Texas yep, and got, got hired MBA. by, yep. uh, it was technically, I was hired by Coopers and Lyburn, but then oh, Price yeah. Waterhouse acquired them, right? Basically, they consummated the major or the merger my first day on the job. So wow. Well, and you know, I was. I remember like mid nineties, I was at EMY actually interviewed with Coopers and Lyburn and PwC. I always liked the, uh, the culture of, of Coopers. You know what I mean? It had a good collegial culture. I really liked it too. And, um, and it was really, I mean, like we were, they basically acquired Coopers because of the strategy practice Absolutely. And that practice that I had come into. And, um, so it was, it was a lot of fun. And then, but then because I was sort of co-located with, some Pricewaterhouse consultants because I was in Dallas at that time. That's where the retail practice was basically home based for uh, PwC, and they kind of adopted me. So I spent four years, almost four years, at PwC, uh, theoretically doing IT strategy work, but it was almost exclusively all for retailers during the time. So it was it was a retail it's a retail story. That's, <laughs> it's interesting. I don't think I knew that about you. Yeah, and for those yeah. of you, those of you that are listening, I mean if you think about our country, a um, couple of big retail hubs, of course, Dallas is huge. We could go down the list of retailers there, New York, um, West Coast and the San Francisco Bay Area. And then there's a number of others that are dispersed, but those are three big hubs and and Dallas always seems to come up as kind of the uh, one of the top ones from a retail perspective. All right, so you're in consulting, you jump into research and kind of get into this space with Forrester um, and then make your way to RSR. So how is that different than consulting? I think some people might want to know, like what's different about those firms versus the a PwC or an Accenture, or Deloitte, others like that? Yeah, we're we're... You know, we characterize it as advisory rather than consulting just because what we tend to do is is much shorter. So we'll come in and we'll talk about here's the trends that are going on in the industry and here's how they might apply specifically to you. Uh, and that works both. We do that for both retailers and we do that also for technology solution providers. So, you know, we help them understand what's going on in retail so that they are better prepared to kind of meet the challenges that are coming their way. Um, and we, we do it so short. It's like, we'll come in for a day at most, we'll do like a week kind of engagement and then we're gone. Like, if you want to know, well, what vendors should I buy that we don't answer those questions and <laughs> right. you know, how do I implement this you in the direction of, of partners or friends of the firm and, and leave it at that. So we don't go down those holes. Got it. All right, cool. So you get into the space and what did you like about it versus what you were doing in consulting? Like, what did you like about this role or these roles over the last X number of years, the 10 plus years um, versus on the consulting side? You know, what I, what I loved about consulting was that you got to, you know, one, if you work for one company for a long period of time, you get a really deep understanding of that company. And by extension, you get an understanding of some of the stuff that's going on in the industry, but you see it in a very company-specific kind of way. In consulting, you get to see a lot of companies and you get to kind of do some comparative kind of stuff on, well, 
this company was organized this way or this company had that culture and that company had this culture. And so you get you get kind of a broader view and you don't get the depth because you didn't, you know, I as a strategy consultant, I stayed at a company for max three months before I was off to the next one. As a an industry analyst, um, I get an even bigger, wider picture. Um, but I've had enough depth in my career, both as a retailer and as a consultant, that I, it it helps me keep those experiences relevant and fresh, but I'm learning every day. Like we do a new survey every day, we get new data, we get new inputs that help us figure out what's going on in the industry and that constant sort of learning, but also getting to see here's how one company sees the world and here's how another company sees the world getting that perspective all the time. I think that's what I like the best about it. That's really cool. Yeah. So for those of you listening that uh, maybe haven't heard of retail assistance research, RSR, I mean, in what Nikki does, she's really focused on the consumer retailer relationship as well as the marketing and operational implications of that, which is really cool in the retail space. So, all right, Nikki, everyone listening shops, some of the people listening to this podcast are in retail uh, or heavily in retail, but let's talk about some of the top trends in retail right now. So what would you say are, you know, for 2018, as we're looking at this year, a couple of things that are really trending in retail? Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, so I would say, and this doesn't sound very exciting, but I would say it's the biggest one. Besides Amazon. Is, <laughs> no, no, not Amazon. Actually, Actually, internally today, we were talking, we, you know, we were at the National Retail Federation big show last week, um, got to see, you know, everything that was going on there. And so as a company, we were sitting down and talking about, well, you know, what were the big themes from the show? And, and one of the things that we were tossing around was this idea of post Amazon. And, and, you know, there was some objection, you know, well, that makes it sound like Amazon's gone, but it's definitely still here and a force to be reckoned with. And, and what we came up with was, well, it's sort of the post-Amazon mentality. It's like what we saw from retailers at NRS this year was, was I'm, it's not that I'm not afraid of Amazon anymore. I'm not afraid that they're going to eat my lunch. Like they're definitely still afraid of that, but they're not panicked. And it seems like on the whole, retailers are starting to feel like I got to play a different game. Like I'm not going to beat Walmart on price and I'm not going to beat Amazon on just pure raw convenience. So, so what do I have that I can compete with and play a different game? And so the challenge in asking that question is that when you look at the capabilities that retailers have to actually answer that question <laughs> is you've got, you've got none. You've got, you've barely invested in technology. Um, you know, retailers in general treat that as a cost center, not as a strategy enabler. And all of that part of it has got to change. And I think we saw much more awareness that that's an issue and that, you know, we need to change our mindset about technology. And, and so, like, the biggest thing, I'm not lying, for 2018 is going to be retailers ditching old legacy uh, solutions that they've had that are, you know, old enough to drink <laughs> and turn them around with cloud-deployed, you know, vanilla, barely configured versus customized, right. it's going to be about just give me the capabilities so that I can get moving. I'm not going to worry about, you know, customizing the heck out of it just to make it my own. Well, and I mean, it's an interesting topic, right? I mean, these 
retailers and other companies that that work with them, they all invested in these large, complex back office systems and legacy, what I'll call point of sale systems, you know, the, and for those that don't know POS, I mean, these are the systems that, you know, they're entering orders in at the, at the cash register. And the question is, how do you move from those where there's lots of legacy data and complex process to something that's so much simpler and available today? And you see like with new retailers, they're able to jump into that quickly, but like, how do the legacy retailers make that move quickly? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and I think part of the challenge is that they've, what they've done is they've kind of invested around those legacy systems right. as much as possible. Yep. I mean, when you go in a retail store and you see an employee who's got like an iPhone or a sure. tablet or something like that, nine times out of 10, that's just a complete separate add-on system that is barely integrated <laughs> right. to their existing point of sale. Yep. It's not it's not the same application running on that device as is running on the big cash register on the counter. That's so, right. But it's getting to the point where you can't you can't innovate anymore without having some kind of foundation. You've got to have you know some order taking service right that that you can deploy anywhere. That's more what retailers need. So I feel like they've spent the last couple of years trying to implement that surround strategy of I'm not going to touch my core systems because I, it's too scary. And now they're sort of maxed out on what they can do with that strategy. And now they're kind of looking at, okay, well, do I have enough that I can kill the core and fill it in? Do I need to replace it completely? And those are more the questions that we're hearing these days. Ah, interesting. All right. So we've got the the shift in flexible, more flexible technologies, I'll call it. What about in customer experience and, and how does that play into uh, the strategy from a retail perspective? I hope. I, I really hope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've been talking about that for a while, right? <laughs> I hope to see cool stuff. And I mean, I know I'm jaded and I'm the worst customer ever. And when I go shopping <laughs> with my family, if there's something wrong, they're like, you're just not going to say anything right because we like this store and we don't want to get kicked out. Right. So like, <laughs> you have to take it with a grain of salt. But but I, I do hope. I feel like um, we've seen a lot of experimentation. Uh, but those things are all sort of one-off things that are not connected to the core. And so they're not repeatable. They're not scalable. They can't iterate on those things very easily. And that's where I think they've sort of run into that wall and are looking to, well, can we backtrack and fill in our foundation so that we can do this stuff in a more, um, just a more efficient, sustainable kind of way. And and so I I really do hope. I mean, I saw some cool stuff at NRS. You know, there's, of course, the... The augmented reality, right? And, AR, uh, VR. Yeah, I mean, gamification. I, game of, lots but of does that. that really work in store? I mean, it's always cool at a trade show when you can put on the goggles. But I mean, in, in digital signage, I mean, I, I just not. I mean, that's been talked about now for a couple of years, right? I mean, I. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, think about how many times we've gone to a show and seen that. Some of the stuff that they were showing as "quote unquote" innovative at NRS, <laughs> I no out. kidding saw. In 2005, I thought my first year as an analyst at Forrester, and I was oh, like, yeah. "What? Wait, why? Why? Why is this innovative?" And and actually, it was it wasn't that the technology was innovative. It was, yeah, but now we have the data analytics that goes with it, and we actually know what to do with it. And when you learn something, you can actually like 
reach out and tap that customer via their mobile phone. So like it's a close, you can close the loop on some of this stuff. And I was like, That's all right, right I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll buy I mean, that. I just, it's, it's interesting, right? I mean, four years ago when I left Coke, the, right before I left, we met with uh, up at NRF, we met with this, this technology company that had virtual reality. Like you walked in their office and it was like a grocery shelf and you put on the, the goggles and like the Coke can came to yeah. life and there were some cool videos. You might scan a QR code. I mean, is anybody doing any of that? I mean, it's four years later. I, I don't know. I just don't see yeah. it. I mean, you know, people want to get in no. and out of the store, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, there's, there's two sides to it. So yes, there's definitely that sort of save me time kind right. of side of don't make this painful. Don't try to trap me in your store. Can I just come and get all my stuff and get out? Right. For sure. And then, but the other side of it is entertain me, inspire right. me, uh, you know, teach me something. There's, I think there's very much that side of it that um, especially the more less frequently shopped kind of experiential brands, lifestyle kind of retailers, I think they, they definitely need to be thinking more about that experiential side of things. I think, I mean, the problem is, is that it's always, it's always sort of technology first and then, well, you know, it's the hammer looking for the nail. And, and I, I, you know, until we really get to, well, you know, you have to care about your customers. You have to truly genuinely authentically care about whatever lifestyle it is that you represent. And then you have to figure out how to make that fun and exciting and inspiring. And then you look at the technology that will make that possible. Sure. <laughs> That's sure. how you should be approaching that. Yeah, no question. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and for those that are listening that aren't in the retail space, you know, it's a it's a real tension that exists between the, you know, do you go towards the Amazon model and everyone's going to go and order online and have it delivered, delivered to their house? Or do you go to the model of, think about it, I mean, TJ Maxx, Marshalls, Home Goods, Kohl's, um, I mean, the Targets, are, they're doing pretty well. And they're not doing all this extra technology in store, but they got great product and get it then. And I mean, you know, the I, I, it's just an interesting tension in the retail industry right now. All right. So, um, Nikki, what about, uh, let's talk um, about one or two key pieces of technology that are evolving that, I, and, and I think these will be interesting to our listeners because they're buzzwords that are regularly coming up um, that I think most people may or may not understand. And the first one is around blockchain. So what is blockchain? I, I mean, I, I could define it, but I'd rather you define it because I'd, I'd like you to share how this relates to the industry and how it's evolving. Because as you know, right now, it's heavily been in financial services. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, so the the easiest way to describe it is, um, and, and this is just a recent sort of revelation for me even, so I'm not sure that I'm going to actually do this justice, but we'll give it a shot. Um, blockchain is, so people call, talk about a distributed ledger. So there's sort of a totally public yet totally somehow encrypted way of everybody recording an event or a transfer of information or ownership of data place that theoretically anybody can see it, but you can only see the information that you have specifically been given permission to see. And the way that that permission is given is through these tokens, which if you have been following Bitcoin or Ethereum <laughs> or Ripple or any yep. of those at all, those coins, those coins, those are the tokens that you get to use to trade that information. So they, you know, they, 
people talk about it in terms of cryptocurrency, basically the information that is captured in that coin that you are trading or sharing is is monetary value. <laughs> That's what they're trying to do with it. But the real value and especially the applicability to retail is to be able to trade things like um like import documentation That's right. or track and trace origin warranty yeah. yeah product track and trace exactly yeah now the really interesting application uh, and this is one that my colleague Paula Rosenblum just sort of stumbled oh, into yeah. is this idea of personal shopping records well that's so, interesting uh, right yeah right now you know retailers and brands and advertisers are the ones who basically own all of the data about you, right? It's that race to collect as much information about you as humanly possible and inhumanly possible too. And you don't own any of it. Like you, you spend, I have a friend who's really super almost like black helicopter privacy kind of person. So anytime she gets an unsolicited email from somebody, she immediately hunts them down and wants to know where they got her name and email address (laughs) Remove them from her list. <laughs> My gosh. Like she's probably she's probably personally responsible for at least twenty five percent of the complaints to the <laughs> um, you know the robocall FTC? bureau. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's gotten worse. By the right? way, I'm getting more and more of those yeah, every day totally from my from like local <laughs> numbers. <laughs> Apparently, local numbers, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, the spoofing is, yeah, is outrageous these yeah. days. But so, like, like she. She really takes it on of she's not going to have anybody own her data. But I mean, it's like, it's like all her free time. <laughs> I mean, she has to spend an enormous amount of time doing that. So if you think about it, if the tables were turned, so if as a consumer, you got to own all of your data. So if I bought something from Target, that receipt, that's my data, right? I, I get that data and I get to own it. And then I get to decide who I want to share that with. Now, yes, I've, sort of by default, share that with Target. But Target does not have permission then to share that with anybody else. But they can come to me and I can say, well, yes, Walmart, I would like you to see what my purchase history at Target is because I would like to see if you could beat that, right? Like, so that that authorization of what if all of this data was mine? So what if everything I purchased was written to my own personal distributed ledger And then I had tokens that I could hand out to retailers that specifically told them, here's what you can know about me at any given point in time. So you'd almost opt in for that. Yeah. That's interesting. It would definitely, it would, it would be opt in, but it would also be revocable. Sure. I'm sorry, Target. I hate you. And I don't want you to know anything (laughs) about me anymore. (laughs) Well, but they have all that, right? From credit card data and purchase data where you're, if or a loyalty card for some retailers where you've opted into being a part of the loyalty program, like CVS and whatnot, right? I mean, that's what retailers a lot of times share with consumer goods companies for lots of reasons, whether it's to manage inventory or to manage campaigns. Right. And and for, for me to say, um, you know, yeah, at an aggregate level, sure, you can share all that. It's not personally identifiable. There's no unique sort of line item. If you if you want to share with, if you want to share with Coke, you know, your Coke purchase history, go for it. And I'm, you know, my purchase history is included in that. I get it. That's totally cool. But if I want Coke to know who I am, then I could authorize Coke to see my individual line item. Sure, personal information. Yeah, and the frequency of those purchases. Mm. Um, yeah, That's interesting. I, I, it's a fascinating. Like, 
how we would have to get there legislatively. There's no way <laughs> I can we imagine. get there any other way. Yeah. PII data. But yeah, let's see. Yeah, go ahead. The idea, the idea of giving consumers more control. I mean, it's one of those things where if if somebody could if somebody could actually set up a ledger for that and authorize coins, tokens that people would buy that would give them some control over that, that's fascinating to me that could happen yeah no question there's lots of lots of opportunities in the space and it and blockchain is an early you know technology in the in the space it's something we'll be talking about over the next year two three at least um, you know it's it, i always liken it to like where artificial intelligence and machine learning and some of those topics you know ar vr they came up a couple years ago and even still they're they're evolving and, and becoming more commonplace and blockchain is so early and new, people are, are wondering about it. But uh, outside of financial services, I haven't seen much uh, action in it yet. Yeah, it's it's coming. It is coming. I yep. think it will come to supply chain first because all that stuff just sure. makes life so much easier for sharing information. And, you know, EDI and, and some of the networks, you know, with the charges that they tack on to exchanging a lot of that information, you know, there's, there's a transaction cost that would be significantly lower via blockchain, but you know it's not ready today. It's, it'll take a year or two before we get there. Yeah, which for those of you that ever have developed a consumer product and tried to sell it into a major retailer, you have to have EDI set up in order to transfer information, send invoices, get paid, et cetera. And of course, there's a big fee associated to that, which unfortunately I have had to find out with launching some products recently. And... <laughs> It's almost not worth it sometimes because if you're not doing enough volume, right? I mean, for most consumer products companies, it's worth it, but small CPG suppliers, it's tough. But uh, yeah, that could be a big play for especially small product suppliers. All right. So, um, Nikki, I know you got, I mean, we could go on for hours and hours with content and you've got so much to share. So, um, it, for our listeners that are really interested or passionate about retail that want to know more, that can read your material and whatnot, where, where can they find you? Oh, at rsrresearch.com. And, uh, and also on LinkedIn and on, uh, on Twitter. Twitter, it's just at Nikki Baird, all crunched together. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm... No hashtags, no dashes, no periods. I love no. it. Yeah. And Nikki is just, you know, I run into her at all the retail events. She's always the thought leader, the speaker and whatnot, and a good singer. And so if you get, if you guys want to see us singing together, you can find us next January in New York, right? That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Hey, Nikki, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. For more information on today's topic or to access additional leadership content, tools, and resources, check out contenderbrands.com. Also, you can download other ContenderCast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store and Google Play Store. And remember, every winner started as a contender.